good afternoon. This is Randy Brunson with Centurion Advisor Group here on this episode of Stewarding Family Wealth. Uh, So glad that you could join us today or listen to this podcast wherever you pick up your podcast episodes with us in the studio today are Drew Gilbreth with Sutter McClellan Gilbreth Insurance. I said that right, Drew? That's correct. Okay, good, good. Glad you ha- glad to have you with us today. Thanks and also in the studio is Cole Porter with Porter Steel. Cole, glad you're here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Guys, thank you for joining us today. I know both of you have very full lives. Both of you have children at home, right? Yep. Indeed. <laughs> and this is, we're recording this in December, so this is a Christmas season. Are, are they excited? A little bit. A little bit. You, you got two boys. They're just, they're ready to go, aren't they? They are. They're chomping at the bit. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine definitely. <laughs> oh, good, good, the good. The toddler stages, right? So. That's right. That's right. Well, in our work, and I'll, I'll, let, me, let me just talk for a minute about why I invited the two of you to join us today. In our work at Centurion Advisor Group, we work with a lot of business owners, helping make financial decisions, overseeing retirement plans, helping prepare the next generation, some of these kinds of things. All right. And both of you are second generation owners. Drew, you've been in that role for how long? When did you step into that role as a second generation owner? Into 2014. 2014. Mm-hmm. So you've been there for seven, almost eight years now. Correct. And Cole, you are literally in the throes of becoming a second generation owner. That's correct. Yes. And that's, that's, that's the plan and the hope and the, and the dream, right? That's right. In good. the throes is a good way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> You can talk as much or as little about that about that as you want to, because uh, I know that just you know just a lot of moving parts, many of which need to stay behind the scenes until we wrap all this up. But I wanted to hear from the two of you from a second generation perspective, because many of the clients that we serve, they have children involved in the business, and you know all of us can go through the mechanical aspects of you will of building a large financial statement overseeing a large financial statement transferring assets to the next generations you know there are all kinds of ways to do that that are that are part of just prudent personal business planning but transferring a business across generations or transferring values across generations in a way that's sustainable that's a very separate a very different thing okay that's that's working with people and and I'm curious. I don't. I don't have the answers. I just. I study this like you guys do. How do you do this well, right? How do you live your life well and do these kinds of things well? So that's the reason I invited you guys to join us today. Just I wanted to hear from your experience, learn from your experience about how that's working for you, what you've seen that's worked well, and changes you've made, some of those kind of things. But let's start with stories. Drew, you you grew up in Gordon County. I did. I was born and raised in Norcross. Uh, my my father actually still lives in Peachtree Corners. Been a Gwinnett County kid most of my life and joined our business uh, after one small stint at an insurance company. Came into our insurance agency in 2004 okay. and went from there. Good, good, good. So you, did you go to Norcross High School? I did not. I went to St. Pius. Okay. All right. Yeah, I know exactly where that is. We, uh, it's in DeKalb County right off of 85. Mm-hmm. So, good. I'm not sure I'm asking you. You go to Georgia? Or Ge- I, I went to Georgia. Okay. And, uh, go dogs. I, I, yeah, go dogs. And I, <laughs> I got an insurance degree, which back then wasn't that common. Now George is the number one school in the country for it. So they've come a long way. And uh, it, it, I never questioned going into the family business. It was always something that my dad kind of brought me in early. Mm-hmm. Um, I was an intern in high school, things like that. Right. Um, then through college and then took one small stint at an insurance company to kind of learn the, the other way it works. The other side of the ball, if you will, right, and then join the agency. 
Okay. All right, good. So you're right. Georgia does have a, a well-known risk management insurance program. And don't they offer a master's in risk management? I believe they do, yes. Yeah, I think they do. And interesting, Georgia's known for the risk management program and also for the veterinarian program. I, I'm not sure what the correlation between those two is, but, you know, you you guys have probably met people that came through that program. It's also well-respected, but, you know, good. So, Georgia, and Cole, you went to Georgia as well. I did, yeah. I um, I grew up in Loganville, Gwinnett County side of Loganville, um, went to South Gwinnett High School. And, uh, yeah, I mean, my, the business is older than I am, so uh, it's always – I call it my older brother because – you know it, it eats just like a you know a kid needs to eat you know it, it's always there and yeah so I never thought that I would you know I didn't know exactly what I would do as far as how the business goes and my dad has always told us that he never wished our our business on anyone you know he, he didn't wish it on any of his kids and so because it has been really you know it's 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 stressful and it's hard I mean there's definitely benefits and rewards to it but I've definitely learned that from him that it, it's definitely a sacrifice um and it takes, you know, the right vision and the right uh, dreaming and the right uh, work ethic to be able to handle it. So I worked in and out of the business my whole life, you know, just in various, various times, whether it was in high school in the, in the shop or um, in college doing administrative work um, and then uh, did project management and then kind of worked my way up from there after college. So. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like each of you, just because the business was there as you were coming up, as you're growing up, and high school or college, there was always work to do, and and so forth. So, your da- your dad Cole, he his his thought was he he didn't really build it to give to you and your brothers, or didn't really have any designs on transferring it to you. Yeah, I don't think specifically. I don't think that was his idea. Um, I think when I showed the willingness to take over in that role, that's when it, that's really the first time that he realized that it would be something that I would even be interested in doing. So, yeah, it's a little probably a little bit of a different uh, planning or lack of planning on his part uh, compared to Drew's situation. Right, but it's it's just turned out here since uh, you've come back to Porter Steel what, four years ago, about five years ago, almost yeah. five years ago. That's just come to a point where it's a it's a good time for the transition for your dad to sell and you to buy. Uh, Porter Steel. That's right. Okay, good. What about your dad? Was his, whether it was a conversation or uh, unspoken expectation, was his thought, you know, hey, he'd love to have you come in and be a part of the business and take over for him at some point? Or I don't think taking over was something that was thought of initially. The insurance industry just demographically at his age was uh, turning over just about the time I got into it. And there were a lot of people selling out uh, a lot of people merging in with larger firms, and it was never a question of, are we going to do this? You know, or am I going to become ownership? It was really if he was ever going to stop, because sometimes, I mean, we we have agent friends now that are still at it at you know late seventies, eighty year eighty year old, they just don't give it up, and because right. it's not it's not something you necessarily have to if you can have the right support staff around you. Because it's a very relationship driven business, right? Um, it does require a certain amount of knowledge and expertise that once you acquire it and you can think in that way, it's not rocket science anymore. Right. So um, he did finally decide to hang it up and yeah. we wanted to transition. A lot of people were asking, what are you going to, what, what, what's the agency's plan? And we decided to buy in and it's been, it's been very good. Good, good, good. When did your dad, when did your dad start settlement clothing with? He started Gilbreth and Associates in 77, so it, it's also older than me. And okay. Um, okay. The, then he merged with Sutter McClellan in 92, 
and he bought out the owners of Sutter McClellan in 2010 and then sold to me and my partner in 14. So you grew up, you both grew up in the, being around the family business or in the family business or that was just part of the family life was, was that business. So your dad started Porter Steel in 1980 or 81, did I hear you say? 83. 83. Tell us what Porter Steel does. Yeah, so we're a structural steel miscellaneous metals fabricator and erector, principally serving the construction industry. Uh, We also do have a manufacturing division where we manufacture uh, steel parts or processes for other uh, manufacturers. Okay. Um, And that serves more, you know, the manufacturing industry as opposed to the construction, just to diversify. Okay, good. And what, about 75 employees, something like that? About 75 right now. SMG Insurance, a couple of owners, you've got. 35 or 40? 33 employees. 33 employees split between producers, salespeople, and? We have uh, nine nine salespeople, and the rest is internal staff. Okay. Yeah. All right, good. And you've also been an acquisition, just like your dad did a merger and uh, so on and so forth, you've also been in acquisition mode and built, built the agency that way to some degree? Correct. Okay, good, good, good. There's opportunity for that. I mean, there's always, in any business, I believe, there's opportunity for acquisition if someone didn't do what your dad did, which was to find an internal transition. Always sell the outsiders. There's always someone willing to buy it, it seems like. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. So, Drew, I know you've told me that you went and worked for an insurance company for a few years out of school. All yes. Right. Did, was that something that your dad said, hey, if you want to come to work for me, you need to go get this experience? Or how did that? It was absolutely that way. He kind of... He kind of explained it as, as if in football terms. Okay. Go play defense for a minute so you know how to play quarterback. And it, it's – you you get to see how they operate, why they do what they do. And we were – at the time, we were the largest insurance agency for uh, Zurich Small Business at, at the time. Okay. And uh, he arranged for me to go down there in an interview and get a position. I worked for about 11 months down there and then decided – yeah, if I'm not moving up here, if I'm not going to do anything else, let's let's get started. Because going back into the agency was a sales position, and that was that was something I was ready to get started for. That time on the company side, though, gave you some insight into how the companies work and what they do, and and, and absolutely, those, yeah, yeah. It, it's very much you understand why they do what they do, mm-hmm. so that when you're on the other side of the negotiations it, it, with your client's interest at hand, you know why they want what they want. And you can help turn it into layman's terms for the client, um, get better policies, better pricing, uh, better insurance programs overall. You also you also see why kind of the ebbs and flows of the business happen the way they do. And I, I was asking Cole about Porter Steel, so tell us about SMG because insurance is a very broad. Sure. Uh, t- tell us a little more about SMG, what their focus is and culture as you understand it. We're, we're an independent insurance agency. We serve about 95% of our clientele is in Georgia, but we do... Uh, work outside in the southeast, outside the state, and we have 33 employees. Primary focus is in commercial insurance. Mm-hmm. We also do employee benefits along with that commercial PNC insurance, okay. and then uh, we have a personal insurance department as well. All right, so a fairly diversified uh, insurance agency with a big focus on commercial lines. Correct. All right, good. Talking about your company experience, have you found uh, when you screen and filter for new hires? Or let's say you're in conversation with a smaller agency where the principal just, it's time for him or her to sell. Do you look for employees that 
have worked for insurance companies that might have that experience? Does that does that matter or it it doesn't really matter from an agency standpoint. Um, if you're uh, if you're going into sales, it does help. It is something you know a claims adjuster, an underwriter that understands what the insurance company is looking for. That is very uh, helpful um, from the staff side, from the service side. It's more about being in a customer service position. You know, have you have you dealt with the public? You know, for a long time. Do you have that customer service demeanor? Can you solve problems without losing your cool? Um, those are those are more important than just the uh, kind of the nuts and bolts of underwriting that you get at an insurance company. Interpersonal skills, absolutely. How, how do you hire? You know. We could go so many directions with this conversation, but I think all three of us live with us every day, right? So how do you screen and filter and hire for that? The biggest thing is uh, multiple interviews with multiple parties. Um, I phone screen all of our you know, uh, applicants and then uh, bring in my business partner for either a you know covid made us do a lot of virtual interviews which was which was pretty difficult to figure out if you like someone on video or not right um and if they're going to be a good fit and or we bring them in in person and then finally we bring in with the team they're going to be working with if they're going to be in our personal insurance department we sit them down across from those people right and those employees get to screen them ask questions find out if they fit we we have a very strong culture, very good culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel we're a great place to work. We, we, we try very hard to be very good to our employees. And we try very hard to keep the bad apples out. You know, you don't want anyone to spoil it. And we've had some of those in the past. I mean, it's hard to avoid that always. And um, you can see definitely the impact it has on everybody when, right. you, when you make a bad hire. Right. So uh, you've probably both heard that phrase, slow to hire, quick to fire, and you've probably both experienced that where if you take your time and reduce, take your time and make a, do everything you can to make a good hire, it reduces the uh, incidence of having to cut someone loose. You're a little different role, Cole. I mean, you've, you're, you're about to step into ownership is, is what we expect, but you've, you've had some influence over hiring. Uh, Drew, with you, probably the majority of your staff, whether it's producers or internal support people, the majority of them have some customer-facing responsibilities? Absolutely. And then a few a few that don't. Correct. Yeah, but most do. But Cole, you're in a, you're in a very different state. You're in a manufacturing environment. Sure, yeah. So in terms of just um, what have you found that works in terms of whether you're hiring a client or customer-facing team members or company leadership or the the guys and ladies that work in the shop that just get the job done and get things put together how do you hire well well right now that's a really loaded question because of the labor market but um, particularly in our production whether it's a fabricator in the shop or a erector in the field iron worker uh, or a CDL driver there's a lot of different positions where the skill and the experience really matters uh, we're, we're definitely in a um, very specialized uh, a specialized function within our industry as far as you know you can't just bring in anybody to to be a welder or you can't just bring in anybody to even be a project manager on a structural steel job there's a lot of uh, there is some crossover that works uh, when you find someone who's just a really good um, project management style person um, but if they don't have that knowledge of the industry it is difficult to um, to be successful quickly 
uh, on on anything we do really um, so it, you know the experience in our industry is a really big plus because of all those things just the, the sheer load of knowledge that it takes to uh, to know about what we do and be able to execute that well um, but certainly we look for people that align in our values um, you know currently we're working on completely revamping our mission and our vision and values and uh, I think that's one thing where we've been a little bit weak in the past as far as not clearly telling our employees what we stand for um, I think we've always done a good job of saying like hey we're a you know we serve the Lord and we want to be a, a known as a Christian business with high integrity right. um, but beyond that we haven't um, done a, a great job of laying out exactly what we're doing every day and what we're what we're working for and so I think that there's going to be a lot of improvement in our culture um, when we clearly define those things and, and give people um, just those values to stand by so that they know that even in their work, uh, even if they don't have some of the skills, they don't have some of the knowledge, that if they're standing by the values, they can get there. You know, um, If they are missing some of those things and they also are missing the values, well, then it's probably not a good fit. Um, but I think that that's just a challenge that every business goes through. And um, unfortunately, with us being so specialized, it is a lot more difficult uh, to find the right people for right positions, especially when the market is the way it is right now with uh, everybody leaving for a dollar or, you know, not seeing pa not really seeing the long term picture. And and like Drew said, we really try to take care of our employees and make sure that they um, are cared for, you know, beyond just getting a paycheck. And so it's hard to communicate that um, in just a, a very short period of time without seeing the family culture and, and being here as a part of our family. And we really do consider all of our employees as part of our family. Skill set on the one hand, sort of attitude and cultural fit on the other, but any number of your team members are part of the skilled trades. You know, welders, experienced, structural steel, you know, skilled trades, right? Sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't know the... The yeah, you can say welder, fabricator, fitter, welder, you know, all those things. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for bailing me out there. Th those words. Yeah, those words. Uh, so they've got, they really need that skill set. And, and, and I'm guessing if you have a place for a helper, that someone that's fresh out of high school or technical school that can step into a helper role and train, you know, become a journeyman, that's fine. But at some point, you also need the journeyman that, that actually know how to step in and get the job done from the day they're hired, right? Absolutely. And, and we've been very successful at bringing guys out of high school that just align on the value side or, or see the opportunity and then they are sponges and absorb everything and then we teach them not only the skills of the industry but how we do things and so oftentimes they're very successful starting from the bottom and going all the way up um, we've got several folks in management that, that did exactly that um, but yes I mean you nailed it with you know sometimes we do need the guy that is just an expert already right and and that's sometimes hard to find what about you Drew I mean you the insurance world is a very bad I mean they're just the depth and breadth is significant so when you're hiring not producers but when you're hiring internally because what is that 25 percent of the people are outside and the rest mm -hmm. are inside so when you're hiring for inside and you're weighing the you know attitude cultural fit interpersonal fit versus skill set how do you go through that decision making you know? well the the insurance industry is a like you said a vast world but the uh, employment candidates right now are it, it's pretty thin and it's I attribute it because maybe insurance isn't as sexy as some other career paths but there aren't a ton of people doing that and what we found is we went from an average age of almost 60 just three four years ago to now about 40 years old okay. just by retirement and having to go out and seek new people 
So a lot of times the experience is less, and it's more about what Cole was talking about. Okay. Do you value the culture? Do you have the right attitude? Are you teachable? I mean, insurance is a, is, is a teachable subject matter. It's do you have everything else? Because there aren't many people with you know, 20 years experience that are out there looking. They've probably found a home. You know, we have several that have been with us that long or longer. Um, I have several still remaining work moms, as I call them. They, <laughs> they, they had Happy Meal toys <clears throat> in, in their desk for me when I was that age. That's how far back we go. Yeah. And it, you, you really have to make sure you've got the right people. Because this is, my business is something where we can teach you the nuts and bolts. It's about, are you willing and able to do it right? That's right. That's right. It's a a fascinating mix, because we've experienced the same thing. It's a fascinating mix of technical competence, knowing what you're doing on the technical side, and personal relationships. That's as far as I've gotten with it. I know that much and how how to do that well. I don't know. That's why I'm here asking questions. So I can learn. Um, I'll, yeah. I'll add to that because I think, you know, going back to when there's a cultural, someone who doesn't fit, you know, with your culture or, or who is what they'll say is a cancer in the employee morale. Uh, a lot of times you, you run into the situation of like cutting your, your hand off. Like you don't, you know, the person's bringing a skill value, but yet they're ruining morale. And I, I think back at some of those situations where we've let someone go or they've left soon after when we were considering letting them go. And you just look back and you say, man, that was so good that they ended up leaving because the damage that they were doing, not, you know, maybe you couldn't put that in numbers and on paper exactly what the damage is that they were doing. But when they left, you could just see how much it improved the whole team. And so I think every time I've looked back on a situation like that, I always say, like, that was the right move. Um, Or I wish I had done it sooner because I can acknowledge that it's important that people want to be at your workplace you know they that they want to be there they want to um, fellowship with those that are that are working with them and if you take that away it becomes just a paycheck and just a job and um and it just ruins everything so um i just think that's a really good lesson learned on my part um for those situations so if you were giving uh, two or three pieces of advice to your peers and colleagues that that own and manage and run businesses that have employees two or three pieces of advice about hiring well taking care of the team well what what would they be i would say share your vision and get buy-in um, on your vision so that people know where you're going um, and make those dis- make those hiring decisions based on people that that want to go with you um, that'd be one thing uh, i would say never underestimate the value of morale and the you know they say you know one bad apple ruins the whole bunch right and so um, there's a lot of other metaphors we could use, but um, but that's one thing that I think is really true in business, especially if you have people working closely together, is making sure that you um, protect your employees and their their work life and how they feel about their job. Um, and then I would say, you know, instead of trying to figure out everything in the market and all the economic factors that we can't control, just be the best at what you do and create the best business to work for so that you'll never have a problem with with getting good people to come be a part of your team. Um, I think if we become the best steel fabricator in Atlanta or in the southeast, then we won't ever have a problem getting welders or getting project managers because we'll have that reputation and we'll have that culture that they want to be a part of. Um, If we're constantly worried about, oh, there's not enough welders in the market for all the welding that has to go on, 
then we're kind of looking at the bottom of the of the barrel. I want to be on the top of the barrel. Even maybe focus on being a destination employer then. That's right. Yeah. What about you? The two or three pieces of advice you could share. The, the that's very good advice, and, and the one thing I would add to it is is getting the input from your staff when you're hiring into their environment, mm-hmm. um, making sure they buy in. We get a lot of our employees through word of mouth through our own employees. Right. They say this is the greatest place, and they jump ship, and you know we we candidly pull the employee aside and say are you vouching for this person or is this just they said they wanted to send their resume and they say no no i think this person's great and you know they're not going to say that if if they don't believe it and and we get a lot of people that way um i would be patient i mean just you know the old adage slow to hire quick to fire we take our time we Mm -hmm. do it is um you know we've had some times during covid where we had to move quick and find some people. We had a lot of retirements during that that period, um, just for health and safety reasons. And you 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 saw us kind of get away from what we've been doing, and now we're back to, you know, this is a this is a great place to be, and it's not open to everybody, you know. So you can really be selective. Yeah. And take your time. Good, good advice, good advice. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you that are listening, we are going to wrap up this first episode, but we are on the air today with uh, Cole Porter of Porter Steel and Drew Gilbreth of Sutter McClellan, uh, Sutter McClellan Gilbreth Insurance Agency. I will slow down and say it well, but we're on the air today with Drew and Cole. They are here with us, but stay tuned for the second episode. We are going to talk more about what they have learned as second-generation owners and what the business looks like now compared to, to how it was when they're, in this case, when their dads ran it. So stay tuned for that. There's going to be some fascinating insight that you're going to hear, but uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of Stewarding Family Wealth here on Gwinnett Business Radio X with the stellar Mike and Amanda. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you soon. Thank you.